welcome to another episode of Tuesday Tea with me, your host, Sweet D. And today I have another incredible guest. Brian Frederick is here. Hi, Brian. Hi. Hi, Dominica. How are you doing? Oh, so good. How are you? It's so late where you are. Yeah, it is quite late. It's <laughs> it's after uh, it's after 11. We're, we're nearing the midnight hour here. It's just incredible that you would take this time with me so late into your evening. Thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I would love if you would just tell our listeners a bit about yourself, what you do, and what your mission is, because I think this is going to add so much value for our listeners. <laughs> Professionally, I, I, I guess, uh, well, I started off as a lawyer, um, and then I became a mediator, um, which is where we, we peacemake rather than fight. So now I kind of say that I'm, a, I'm an anti-lawyer, and I've always wanted to be a writer. And in the past, I've, I've got quite far down the road with that, but kind of with adult books um so i thought i'd be a thriller writer and in the past i've had an agent for that and had publishers interested and then being a lawyer kind of seemed to take over and and all of that sort of fell by the wayside a little bit until until covid when i had um loads of time because mediation is kind of a face-to-face business You, you can do it on zoom you know so so you can talk to people obviously like we're doing and we can see each other but mediation requires a lot of nuance so for me it really requires us to sit in a room and be able to see our faces properly really closely especially for the mediator because it's all about sincerity um, because you know I'm I'm there and I really do genuinely want to help them and the best way to communicate that is that they can they can see that I'm I'm really sincere because it's the truth rather than acting. It's it, it, it looks fake if you, if you try and put it on. So anyway, during COVID, a little thing happened in our neighbourhood where some of the, the lovely little children, we, we, we live in quite a creative neighbourhood in, um, in quite a creative uh, sort of young, vibrant city in, in the UK. Probably not a lot of people have heard of it, but it's, it's called Bristol um, and there's a lot of music here and an awful lot of the arts and they, in the past, certainly they've done quite groovy things like they, uh, Concord was, was designed and built here. Um, things like that. Anyway, around where we live, the people that put on the Glastonbury Festival, a lot of those people that make that, you know, the, the big amazing event, it is carpenters and the painters and the set designers and things like that. A lot of them live around here. So it's, it's that sort of community. So some of these little kids, of, of these guys, were ringing our doorbell with, with the little game, you know, where they ring the doorbell and they run away. And when I went down, of course, you know, there, there was nobody there because they they were hiding behind a car or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'd left a little bouquet of flowers, which, you know, I, I bent down to pick it up and it was lovely. It was, um, you know, they'd picked these flowers themselves, obviously, and they they tied it with um, some grass. And it was it was just lovely. It's just a, you know, a little, little bouquet. And um, by and by, we, we, we started to talk. You know, I, I sensed that they wanted to talk. Um, and, and then we started to chat. Um, and then they came out. They insisted they couldn't be seen. They were invisible. So that was part of the game where I, I didn't talk to them directly. And I pretended, you know, who, who am I talking to? It's, it's amazing, you know. And I christened them the flower fairies. And then when I went walking, we, we lucky enough, even though we live in the centre of town, there's a nature reserve here um, with some woods, and I would be able to go walking 
during quarantine lockdown. And this little story about the flower fairies came into my head and um, I started to write that and I, I got to about seven or 8,000 words and, and kind of came to an impasse and I wasn't sure if it was going to turn into a, you know, a Rube Dow style book or whether it was just going to be a very long picture book or what it was going to be and I couldn't decide. And my little heroine in that book is called Phyllis and um, in the book she has a dog called Sigmund or Siggy. He's a, he's a dachshund. And one day while I was thinking what I'm going to do, a story about Siggy came into my head. I, I suppose you'd say Siggy. Siggy started to talk to me and, and we decided he'd be a, a character in his own right, in his own books. And then I, I started to write those books. I'd hired this wonderful illustrator. She's, um, she's Hungarian, but she lives in Bali, mm-hmm. bizarrely, in, in our connected world. So, you know, just like you and I are talking but thousands of miles apart in different zones, going the other way towards Indonesia. Um, that's where my um, my illustrator lives. So um, uh, Vivian's wonderful. You'll see if if you look at the book, she's really great. Um, oh, it's incredible! And not not to interrupt. I just have to say, absolutely incredible. I have a three year old, and she saw the illustrations and was like, "Mama, what is that?" She really uh-huh. she wanted to read it right then. I've downloaded yeah. the book. It's going to happen tonight at bedtime. We're very excited, and. Oh, excellent. For those of you who have an interest in checking out his books, you can go to brianfrederickauthor.com and you'll see a very smiley photo of Brian there. But you have this tagline that I love so much because I'm a marketer, I geek out on these things, right? And so you say clever books for clever children. And I love yes. that. It just, <laughs> it spoke to me. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I have a clever daughter. I want all the books. <laughs> this I is really great. sweet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you like that. The idea behind that tagline was... I mean, if, if, if I'm brutally honest, one, because I thought I should have a tagline, and then two, because um, I, I mentioned with the, the book that is in development, you might say, um, that it become quite long for a picture book, mm. and the received wisdom amongst um, publishers mainly is that what I'm doing is slightly too long, or, you know, in, in some cases they say it's quite long for a picture book. Um, where I feel, you know, the, the children that would be interested in the story can handle that. Mm. So that that's, that's where the tagline came from. Um, you know, I deliberately am trying to challenge um, with, with a little bit of the vocabulary, with the idea in mind that older children will be fine with that. And younger children, um, if they don't know what a word is, then it gives the opportunity for a parent to explain. And there's I've deliberately used some multicultural references so that, you know, you can have a wee bit of fun and teach your children about other yes. cultures while while you're reading. Both of the stories are kind of, um, you know, li- little stories in their own right, but there's there's also a wee bit more to them. So, you know, so, so that clever children can be stretched or, or, or stay interested. This question I'm going to ask, I think, is a bit heavy for a lot of parents in today's day and age, just because we're now having to compete with AI, technology, smartphones, TV, screens, right? Just constantly screens. And how do you see children's books competing with that today? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's certainly a big thing. I'm uh, a fair bit older than you. So um, it, it's funny. I was talking to my wife about this not so long ago. When we grew up, even when we went to university, I, I had an American girlfriend at university. 
And she was the only person that I knew that had a computer. Her, her dad was a lawyer in the World Bank, so he was he was quite wealthy. And she had this, uh, I guess it's a laptop. And she was the only person. Everybody else was writing out um, assignments and essays, and you know, with with a pen and paper. God love the um, markers, you know, looking back, what a tedious job trying to read this stuff and decipher the handwriting. Truly. But, you know, I've lived in a a world where, you know, the the internet wasn't widely known. And then, you know, all through the time where it's becoming prevalent and, you know, I've I've lived in a world before smartphones and and all that stuff. And today it seems to me that it's, it's a mad situation on the face of it. That, that kids are so, they, they have so many things uh, vying for their attention and, and the content on them is, is brilliant, you know, it's, it's, it's vibrant and, and, and it's everywhere and, and you know, it, it's almost like they can't get away from it in, in a way. You know, the, the question you're asking kind of presupposes that the books almost can't compete and mm-hmm. I actually think that they can because I think that they can do things that, that television and smartphones can't do and, and video games for that matter i think that if if we all think about a time um if if i try and think about this uh, a little picture pops up of when i was about nine i think a teacher in school started to read us the lion the witch in the wardrobe mm-hmm. by c.s lewis and i can still remember you know i guess there were maybe 25 or 30 of us and we were all sat there for days while the story was going on just just enraptured um and you know for i guess maybe an hour at a time I, i'm not really sure how long it was but or or how many days but you know the room was silent all of us just wanted to get more of the story and i, I think that's that's what books can do that um, other mediums can't um because they're involving the children there's there's a story there so you know the story is is physically there, but it's the children's minds um, that create the story for them. They go somewhere completely different, somewhere that they create themselves, and somewhere that they get lost in. Um, you know, ju- just like when when we're reading a book that we enjoy, you know, we can find that it's it's almost like we wake up out of out of this really lovely world um you know half an hour later and and that was that was brilliant and you know when the spell's broken you really just want to go back there like like a lovely dream you know i think that that's what books can do for children it can really expand their mind almost literally because they're you know they're they're creating this world or these worlds and and they're visualizing the characters and they're they're seeing the emotions and and all of these things that when they're just sort of watching television or, or, or scrolling on, on phones or iPads that, that they're, they're not really doing because they're being served the, the content rather than creating it themselves. That, that, that's how I think that books compete. It is incredible when I get to watch my daughter. I mean, she's she can't actually read yet, right? She's only three, but she will sit there for hours, hours and just read to herself and what she thinks is happening on the page. And it's really sweet. And I think, gosh, 
I feel very jaded <laughs> as an adult. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to go back and start doing that because you're right. It expands the mind. The imagination comes back in. I don't read enough books. I listen to a lot of books. You know, I, I'm a huge Audible fan, but I just don't read enough. My mind wanders too much. What would you say for, for the listeners that are like myself, where it's like, we're just, we receive information better when it's from an auditory standpoint. I mean, I guess it still can expand the mind a bit, right? Even though someone's reading to us. I guess people learn and, and receive information, don't they? And they are audible people or they're visual people in terms of of audiobooks or 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 videos. I don't know what I would say. I, I, I guess for, for me, I, I know what you mean. There's a load of things competing for your attention. What I find helps is to try and slow, you know, to slow down. I think to get into a book, you need to give yourself just that little space to, you know, to to leave your phone somewhere mm-hmm. that's out of reach, because they they are demanding things, aren't they? Once you think about your phone, and there's a there's quite a struggle not to pick it up and check something. Um, uh, that that's what I do. I, I sort of um, I, I sit somewhere a wee bit quiet, and I I don't have my phone near me um, and, and then I find that you can sort of get submerged into into the story more easily I find the same difficulty actually if, if I sit there and I've got my phone and I'm thinking about what's happening or an email that I might need to write or whatever you know I bet if we analyze the brain it's a whole different part of the brain that's overriding the, the one that wants to to read and and, and become you know in, involved in that more relaxed sort of imaginary world. I guess it's it's like trying to create a little bit of space. Um, that, that's what I think maybe would help. Very good advice. The phone is a big one. Just leave it in the other room. The yeah. world will not end. Just put the phone away. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? Uh, but we are all kind of slaves to to our, our technology now, aren't we? Um, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. I was just telling a client of mine this today that I... I'm the last generation of what it was like. I remember what it was like to not have a phone, to not even have the internet and life will never be the same. I mean, all we had was books before, right? And now it's like, oh my gosh, all these distractions. It's crazy. I often think um, if if I cast my mind back to the world before phones, you know, one of the things that always amazes me is how um, you'd be able to get somewhere without the sat nav or Google Maps, you know, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd you'd have directions for somewhere you'd never been before, and you'd get there just fine. And and now it's 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 like it, it, it's like some sort of magic must have happened. How would that work? You know, because my God, <laughs> I can hardly read road signs now if the if the phone's not telling me I'm oh, going. Oh, I'm road. with I'm with you. If ask me to fold a map. Forget it. <laughs> it's not yeah. going to happen. <laughs> Oh, well, something that I just absolutely love about you is that you are on a mission to increase happiness. For those of you listening who took the time to listen to my first episode of this podcast, I basically was very honest and shared that I went through this period where I needed to overcome burnout and I needed to find my joy again. And I didn't know what made me happy because I really lost myself in my work. And what I find so interesting about you, Brian, is it seems almost counterintuitive where, I mean, it's like the philosophy behind 
mindfulness and being empathetic and kind, like how was that even compatible with working in litigation? Right. But somehow you have found this joy and purpose. How did, so how did that really come about? You talk about, you know, COVID and how the sweet flower fairies came about, but was there some other spark where you knew like, you know, this is going to bring joy and I want to do this. Yeah. Well, that, that was kind of my transition out of litigation into, into mediation. In fact, Mm. uh, it became apparent to me that there's there's some people in in the world of law, I guess, in the world in general, that that enjoy fighting, and that's what you have to do to be a litigator. But I wasn't one of them, so I, I drifted almost to, on the other side of the fence. Um, so instead of fighting, I I discovered peacemaking, and then I discovered that 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 was just much more me. And it's you know the the solution to these litigation disputes, they they can be very fraught. And, um, you know, people are really locked away in in a trench and and there's anger and all sorts of things. Your job as a mediator is to kind of create empathy and curiosity um, in each each of the people involved so that they can start to imagine a mindset in the other room and and we can reality test solutions by asking them to imagine how whatever they've suggested which might be you know quite out there um would go down in in the other room if um if i put it to them just like they've said it Mm. um and what once they start to to have a wee bit more empathy they can move because you know most most people most people come into that day of mediation hating the other side. Very, very often they do. And, you know, they, they've built up this picture, but but it's a picture without any empathy. And once once empathy enters the picture, um, you know, most people aren't absolutely terrible ogres. You know, most people are, you know, like like everybody else, you know, they, they, they want to be loved, they want to be happy. And... If people in litigation can start to see that the other side want to put this to an end and, and there's a solution there, that can drive the solution. The solution itself will make them much, much happier. Um, and that that's that sort of general thought is where I decided that that was that was my mission to to create more happiness. So for, from a, a lawyer perspective, you know, lawyers, especially in litigation, wouldn't ever I mean, I, I would, I would really challenge any of them to say that they create more happiness because it's almost the opposite of that. They create rancor and um, turmoil, and 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 for some of their clients, poverty. Um, but um, I laugh, that's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, no, no doubt, true. How beautiful that you are a part of the solution now. I just think that's, I think that's very powerful. It yeah. feels so much better, definitely. Um, it, and yeah, so I, I guess um, when when I started to write my little books, I I wanted to have that kind of, you know, to, just just to make the world a happier place, to make the kids reading the books happier, um, maybe more mindful of of a few things. Um, that you know, the, there's there's a series of books coming, so there'll be different themes. But the first book, the first Siggy. The sausage dog book is is about keeping promises and, and how you know that's that's a reward in itself although he he gets a reward because people are grateful that he kept promises and, and didn't give in to temptation 
the idea that they might make the world a, a happier place or they might help children to grow up into happier adults yeah. is, is something that really appeals to me. Um, so if, if I could do that a little bit, I'll be very happy myself. Absolutely. Cultivating happy minds for future generations. I mean, that's yeah. what more could we possibly make our mission in life, right? No, I think definitely. that's everything. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thought, isn't it? Yeah. This has been lovely. Thank you for spending some time with me and for sharing a bit of your story and just your wonderful, wonderful books with the world. Now you have a book for sale on Amazon. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I I actually have two. Um, You you can buy a physical copy of the one that you downloaded on Amazon too, because when I tried to give that away to, it was originally written as a kind of, they they call it a reader magnet. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's a marketing tool, apparently. Yeah, indeed um, it is. <laughs> yeah. But when I tried to give it away to uh, Dash and Owners Club people, they almost all of them said, oh, can, can we not buy it? Where could we get a physical copy? Mm. Um, so I actually created that. So, so you can buy the free one on Amazon, but you can also get it free, of course. And then Siggy Loves Sausages, is it's been designed from, from day one to sell. <laughs> to not give away. Well, you have um, to get paid for your craft eventually, of I course. So, you probably you probably wouldn't be amazed at how expensive books can be to produce. I I, I was checking your book out. It's great. Oh, um, thanks. Yeah, it's, not, it's not cheap to do. <laughs> it's it's not. really not. No. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then Mr. Bezos um, is is not cheap either. You know, it, it's, anyway. Amazon takes a lot. It they really do. does. So they all do. that to say, everyone go to Amazon right now, buy his books. Okay. <laughs> I will be sure to have links in the show notes of those books as well. So you can check it out. Oh, thank thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you again for taking this time. Go get some rest. It's late. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey, Tuesday Tea listener. I wanted to thank you. Yes, you, because this podcast is now ranked in the top 3% for global podcasts. And just by you listening right now matters. So if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and connect with me on Instagram at Dominica Lumazar. I also want to make sure that you know all about the Inspired Women's Business Network. It's a Facebook group where like-minded business women from all over the world connect and gain daily inspiration and business growth tips from one another. I'll see you there.